0: It
1: was a golden age of the Jedi and the Republic. It was a time of great peace and prosperity. But all that will come crashing down. Who will survive when the light of the Jedi goes dark?
2: Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another exciting episode of the Wampa's Lair Podcast. This is episode number 453, Fallen Star. I'm, as always, one of your hosts, Jason Hunt, and with me, the Avar, Chris, and Elzar man. To my Stellan Geos, we've got Carl LeClaire and Greg Cass, my buddy Greg. Well, Carl's <laughs> buddy Greg. Anyway, you know him.
1: <laughs> oh, we were buddies. Okay. Okay. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Oh, it's, it's all you know. It's you know it's High Republic season when my buddy Greg is on the show.
1: Absolutely, uh, just, just one second here. Okay, uh, in the end, the fallen star was the friends we made along the way. <laughs> the okay, I finished. I'm good to go. All right, <laughs> we can talk about it now. <laughs>
0: Oh, that's right, everybody. We're here to talk about the final novel in Phase One of the High Republic, *Fallen Star* by Claudia Gray. Um, boy, High Republic! What a year it has been. Um, mm-hmm. So glad to have you on, Greg. Especially with because there's so many comic runs going on right now as well, and I know you're on top of everything. Um, so yeah, we're just here to to talk all things *Fallen Star*. Ask the big questions, talk about the things that we really enjoyed. Um, So, goes without saying, spoilers ahead. If you've not yet read Fallen Star and don't want to be spoiled, please come back to this episode afterwards. You've been warned.
2: You've been warned.
0: Um but before we dive into our discussion of Fallen Star, um obviously, you know, if you were with us a couple weeks ago, Jason and I did an episode devoted to the 25th anniversary of the Star Wars trilogy special edition monumental uh, moment in both of our fandoms, being that we had just recently gotten into Star Wars. Um but since Greg's here and I always love listening to Greg's Star Wars stories. Greg, just curious. Uh, here it is, at the beginning of February. We're just about to the twenty fifth anniversary of Empire Strikes Back release. Is a special edition. Just curious, you know how did this special? Ed- how did the special edition sit with you? How do you? How do you remember them? Twenty five
1: years later. I, first, I I got uh, into your podcast, and you pointed out how we were. Farther from the special editions than the special editions were from A New Hope. And I had one of those throw my phone down and just curse that I'm mortal and and Tim is (laughs) passing so quickly uh, moments. But uh, I, um, you know, I think I've talked about it before with with you all. I'm a child of the dark times, so I missed the original theatrical run. Um, And so even on your last episode, just hearing that opening with uh, For a Generation. Wars has only been experienced on the television, and really that feeling of like, yeah, it, it, we finally had a chance to see it on the big screen, and it meant everything. It was just so important and huge. And I think the legacy of the special edition is is kind of making fun of some of the changes and additions and what have you. But in the moment, none of that mattered. We were stoked, and like, can't wait to see Jabba can't wait to see the cloud car zoom a little extra. Can't wait. Did Did you hear they made the matte lines on the Rancor more thin? I can't wait to see it. It was like just cloud nine. Everything couldn't have been more exciting uh, for it. Um, the other memory I have related to that is, um, so growing up, I had two best friends, um, one whose birthday was in January, one whose birthday was in February, and then mine was, was March. So uh, over Christmas vacation, we figured out, we could each have our birthdays where our parents would take us to each of the three. And it was perfect. And, you know, it was – I i forget if – I think his birthday was a little before the January one. And then it was right on my friend Rob's birthday. It was the 21st of February, and, and we could go that weekend to see Empire. And my birthday is March 9th, and so it was timed perfectly because Return of the Jedi was coming out the 7th. Oh, whoops, wait a minute. Never mind. We're backing it up a week and it missed my birthday. So <laughs> no. I delayed my birthday that year uh, to make sure my two buddies and I could go see uh, Return of the Jedi on my parents' dime. Uh, and uh, yeah, I just, yeah, I I loved every minute. Of my- I'm from such a small part of New Hampshire, a small town. Um our movie theater was forty-five minutes away. Um and, you know, obviously I'm just spinning old man yarns now, but you couldn't <laughs> reserve your seat. Uh you couldn't even buy a ticket in advance, so we got there hours in advance. Um I remember the plan I think had been to buy tickets, go have McDonald's, and then go back in. Um, but we saw every single person who bought their ticket was running straight in to get their seats, and so we sat there probably at least two hours before the movie all told. Uh in new hampshire january uh to get there but uh it will always be a very special time in my my life the other funny thing about is my parents when i was that age um ran a small grocery store in our town so frito-lay gave them a ton of really weird special edition merch and i'm forever busting out these really strange posters and a tapestry of darth vader and things like that that are all these kind of rare, rare promotional items so um, yeah, it will forever rain uh, in my heart, even if the effects look a little crappy all these years later. <laughs>
2: <laughs> but do you still have some of those weird promotional things?
1: Do I busted out the posters on my Twitter account one time and people were like, what is that? They're the <laughs> ugliest uh, things. I also think um, you know, the famous Pepsi cans are the episode one, doll mm-hmm. 25. I Somewhere behind me here in my basement, I have two liters and vader is on pepsi the stormtrooper is on um diet pepsi and i get what the third one is must be mountain dew right gotta be mountain dew maybe it's Yoda on mountain dew um those those are for the special edition so it started that relationship started back okay. then and then it obviously exploded for phantom menace and we got tons and tons of stuff yeah that's for sure
0: oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, well uh, I'm sorry, your birthday got delayed 25 years ago, Greg. <laughs> 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 That's just, but another testament to just how much folks loved Empire that it was doing so well that they decided to bump decided to bump Return of the Jedi.
1: And, and I, I mean, you were hitting on this in in your episode. They really didn't expect much from this. We'll make a little money, and then it you know it's just knocked everything else out and was the number one film and. Well, couldn't get tickets to the first two, so they delayed the, the third to give more of a chance for everybody to catch them all. And Jerry yeah. Maguire, right? It didn't yeah. have a shot. Didn't. Nope. It didn't.
0: No. He was all shouting, show me the money. And George Lucas said, OK. He's just going to joke that. You're good.
1: <laughs>
0: <Yeah>. <laughs> George did show you the money, um, you crazy Scientologist. <laughs> um, so. He showed it to you going right past you and into his pocket. So... <laughs> <laughs> oh well yeah so you know any of you listening uh, you know if you've got any fond memories of the special editions please share them we got some some great folks sent some messages on, on Instagram just telling, telling some special edition stories last week and I was eating them up so thank you to all of you who, who wrote those in because uh, I, I just love hearing other people's experiences of that time too um, always fun so <laughs> that said <laughs> phase one of the high republic has wrapped with fallen star of course today as of our recording um dj olders YA book has come out uh, midnight horizon and for those of you who do audio books like my friend jason here the um middle grade book has come out for that um which is by justina uh, ireland um hmm. what the, darn it what is the title of that one again
2: I'm pulling it up right now. Literally was looking at it.
0: Oh, uh, Mission to Disaster or something? Yeah. <laughs>
2: so. um, Mission
0: to Disaster. That's right. Yeah. So those are the three final titles from Phase 1. I've not done Mission to Disaster. I just, boy, oh, boy. Maybe we'll talk about this when we get into it, because I know, Jason, you did the audiobook again, as you all, as you usually do. Um, mm-hmm. I just can't do audiobooks, so I'm going to have to wait till the... Uh, <laughs> the book is, is out and in, in published because, Greg, it got pushed back. Isn't that right till March or something for yeah, it's, whatever it's, reason? Uh,
1: just supply chain issues. Okay. So um, any book um, that has color in it is actually produced in China. Like it has to be printed there. Um, and so the middle grade books have beautiful full-color illustrations. So that one got delayed. Um, but you can't get the audiobook or the e-book now because – right. No supply chain for either of those, um, but uh, I, I was on a really great event last night with Justina Ireland and DJ Older um, talking about these books for Blue Willow Bookshop. You know, she she was kind of clearly frustrated by it, but it's entirely out of her hands. It's nothing Del Rey or, or sorry, it would be Disney Books did. It's just know the continuing effects of the pandemic on the supply chain but mm. um it, it, she and uh their editor jennifer heddle were on and it's like absolutely march 1st run out and get it um and blue willow bookshop if you pre-order through them will give you a signed poster by her as well so Excellent. i don't know why i'm plugging a bookstore i don't work for but sure <laughs>
2: <laughs> well it's still and i will, yeah. I will say mission to, i did listen to mission to disaster i enjoyed it um it's probably my favorite of the middle-grade books. Hmm. Um, so, uh, but yeah, I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. It was nice to have Vernestra Rowe back again. So,
1: <laughs> Yeah, I, love yeah, I did character. the e-book, and it, it very much is a sequel to the first middle-grade book. Nice. Um, Justina Ireland did the YA in the middle, and absolutely some of the characters overlap. But the, the two middle-grade really felt linked in, in really wonderful ways. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So. Well. We
0: are but- so cheapers. It's, it's just <laughs> wild to think that Light of the Jedi came out just about just over a year ago now, which, <sighs> you know, officially launched this High Republic storytelling. And, and in that time, we've gotten obviously uh, what will now be essentially nine books from adult novels to YA to middle grade. Plus cheapers. I don't need, I don't know the answer to this, which but Greg, I know you will. How many comic book runs?
1: Uh, so there are um, four High Republic comic titles. There's the the Marvel uh, main title, which is hitting issue 15 and wrapping up phase one. And I think that's in March. Uh, there's High Republic Adventures, which is more all ages from DJ Older, uh, which is just about done. Um, and that's through IDW, who's actually losing that license to Dark Horse. So I think there will be a new High Republic title at Dark Horse, but that particular title is wrapping up. Then uh, Trial of Shadows, uh, which is DJ older for Marvel, doing a miniseries investigating the events of um, Evan's book, The Rising Storm. Um, and then just uh, a couple weeks ago, Carl Sewell uh, had the first of two uh, comics that are the Eye of the Storm, which tell the backstory of on Rowe. So, um, that, yeah, a lot of plus the manga, right? Uh, right. The Edge of yeah, Balance. That's right a uh, plus uh you also skipped the uh, picture books right uh, the third oh, picture right. book came out yeah. today too which yeah. not that those are essential but you know it's just if you're looking at what we've gotten in this year um certainly as as somebody who loves the books and comics i have been well fed just by high republic let alone everything else
0: that's a lot yeah. of high republic <laughs> i w- yeah. i mean i'll admit and in- uh, you know I, I'm reading all three of the book series as you know as they've been coming out, and I've, I've been doing the trade paperbacks of just the main Marvel run that Charles Sewell is writing um, and that's that's all i've been doing uh Jason, have you done any of the comics or have you just done the books um, I've done all
2: the books I have done the uh, volume one of the comics uh, okay. which I have right here in my head um, and found out today this afternoon that I missed. Volume 2 coming out back in December because it didn't show up at Barnes... in my local Barnes & Noble where I normally mm-hmm. get them. Um, so I have got that ordered on Amazon and it will be here tomorrow. Um, mm-hmm. So... And then uh, just also today I downloaded um, and purchased through Audible um, Midnight Horizon. So the the YA book. So... Yeah. I, I've been keeping up with, with all the big ones at least. Uh, and... Yeah, apparently, uh, the comic is supposed to the the main comic is supposed to be very interactive uh, with Fallen Star, uh, from what I understand. Um, I don't know is that's not in Volume Two. I imagine. I imagine that's going to be Volume no. Three.
0: Yeah, but I will say I finished. I read Volume Two. I th- I think I finished it the night before I got my copy of Fallen Star, and I will say I think I feel like it helped a tiny bit. Um, Mainly just with the stuff that was going on with Avar and, and the Dren gear, um, you know, they, they the Dren gear seemed to be kind of going away, which personally I'm a fan of. I've never liked the Dren gear; I think they're weird as hell. Um, but uh, but it did it did help like give some sense of clarity to at least the because so much of the comic series takes place on Starlight Beacon, so it felt more lived in than um, I feel like because I mean we we kind of just go there and in, in the other books. Not, actually, do we even go there in Rising Storm? Is there any Starlight Beacon uh, scenes uh, from Rising I, Storm? I don't, I don't
2: think like there are. Like maybe one or two yeah. scenes, I think.
1: But not they much. They often have that guy call in, that one Jedi. Is that El- Maru? Uh, yeah. Okay. Uh, Mar- Mar- so oftentimes he's talking from Starlight, but I don't think there were any major scenes there. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So he I also will, forgot um, Star Wars Insider has all the short stories, too, and a lot right. of those take oh, place God. on Starlight. But yes. I mean, the investment to keep up with everything in High Republic, I saw some fans being kind of critical of that. And, of course, the answer is you don't have to buy it all. You don't have to. But it is a lot of money if you're loving it and committed to it. So I I Hmm. certainly understand the pain. I I have a wife who works at a bookstore, so um, I get a discount. Otherwise, I don't know that I would be keeping up as well as I am. (laughs) Um, Well, let's get into it. Fallen
0: Star. Let's just start. General thoughts. What you know? You finished that book the f- that first time. Um, I mean, I'll admit, I think I'm the only one in this group who's only consumed it once. Uh, I believe you've both done it twice. Um, yes. So, no, you just do it once as well, Greg. Uh, yeah, I just read it once. Oh, okay, Whew, good. All right. I
1: was kidding just a minute ago. I wasn't actually finishing it. Right. <laughs> um, <laughs> I knew that. <laughs> I, I read it once. I tend to do the adult novels. Um, only once, although uh, after you guessed it on Outer Rim reads, I've been uh, doing a reread with Light of the Jedi with that podcast. Love that book,
0: yeah, well, great podcast too. Andrew, wonderful. Um, but Jason, you finished that? You finished listening? So again, you you were, you're an Audible fella. You like to listen mm-hmm. to your stories. Um, what would you think first time through?
2: Um, first time through, um, just from a technical audiobook standpoint. Uh, they have put a lot of work into this one to make it even more cinematic-sounding than the other two, and the other two were already cinematic-sounding. Um, so that's, I think that's really good, and Mark Thompson is, in my opinion, the best Star Wars narrator um, out there. Uh, by far, it's not even close. Uh, so he's able to help keep the characters all separate with his different voices and the different inflections and the things that he's you know able to you know to do there so i think if you're having trouble keeping things straight in the book you might want to read along listening to the audiobook if you're trying to keep all the characters separate um that's just an idea i know um i think mark herleman used to do that with some of the books um but uh in terms of the story itself I really really want to like this a lot. I I l- like it, but there's a lot that I'm just I don't know how to feel about it because it feels it feels so open-ended, like there's no resolution. And so I'm sort of just left in the lurch, and I don't I don't know how to, to, to deal with that. Because I mean, you know, we we had um oh gosh, not not um rising we had rising storm, which obviously is a continuation and it's setting up, you know, more stories, but it has an end point. You know, it's just like and you know, we had this raid on the Nih- the Nihil base, and Loden Great Storm is dead. There's a new threat coming. Stay tuned, you know. This one just sort of like doesn't kind of we just sort of cut away and there's no like definitive point um i'm feeling a little unsatisfied but i really want to like the book so you know there, there's some great character moments i like uh the friendship that was developed between uh Bel Zedifar and buriaga i loved that that was fantastic um I love seeing some of the characters from previous stories come in. Uh like the the crew of the vessel. Um they were some of my favorite characters from uh early on and having them back, I thought they did. I honestly thought their part in the story was m- might have been my favorite. Hmm. Um but uh yeah, there I I have some some questions and some quibbles. Um but we'll get into that. Uh, so I'm kind of left just sort of like, eh? <laughs> if that makes any sense to any of you.
1: <laughs> Listeners, he did the shruggy okay. gesture. <laughs> 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 uh, thank you, Greg.
0: <laughs> what did you think, Greg? What, was your, what were your initial thoughts?
1: Yeah, Well, and, that, and I just want to hook up with what Jason was just saying is part of what made those feelings all the more acute is that before I had reached the end of Fallen Star, they had the big announcement. I think it was the Monday before this book came out on a Tuesday at phase two is taking place 150, 200 years before this uh, set of characters. So... um Also made that very painful at the end. Because I think the ending is like, okay, what's happening next? And then you're like, oh, it's going to be a long time um, before we pull that in. Um, and, you know, the joke is easily like, you know, wait, so you started in the middle and then you're going back and then you're going to tell us more story after. Who does that in Star Wars? Oh, right. Star Wars does that in Star Wars. Uh, yeah George something. I forget his name. Um, so it is very Star Wars. And I have no doubt they kind of thought that would be a cute echo of, of kind of the way Star Wars works when they came up with that. And, and I don't mean cute by dismissive, but just kind of a fun way to do it. Um, uh, but to the matter at hand, uh, you know, I think and uh, I sat down to read Light of the Jedi, I was hoping for something big. And it was huge. I never could have imagined. Um, uh, uh, sorry, uh, Carl's good friend and my good friend, Steph, just started reading Light um, of the Jedi. And um, she texted me and she was like, is everybody i get attached to going to die in this book because <laughs> it is you forget how brutal those first you know six seven eight chapters are where you just meet people and a lot of them are just gone immediately after mm-hmm. that um and i think the strength of lay of the jedi is that it was huge um rising storm had the task to kind of take that big messy galaxy and advance it and i think it delivered on that you know i think we were really positive with that So I think when I sat down to Fallen Star, I was expecting another step outward, like bigger, more, more characters, more planets, all of that. So what it is, is it's very much uh, a shrinking down of this universe. And the action on this book takes place almost entirely on Starlight Beacon and technically only on half of Starlight Beacon, really. Right, Um, (laughs) And then... Uh, there's another plot line with Marquion on the the Gaze Electric, which I say, thinking of Andrew from Outer Rim Reads. So who hates that name? (laughs) Um, So uh, I do think it shocked me in how small it was. Um, But then once I kind of adjusted those expectations, I got really excited with the kind of claustrophobic, you know, horror, but more like suspense horror than like, Guts blood horror, but but suspense horror, um, you know, it felt very much like, um, you know, everybody's locked in a house, and one by one, the killer is picking them off. And what's going on here? Um, with the added bonus of like, and the whole house is falling out of the sky. <laughs> um, and those parts I really started to enjoy, but I, I just want to admit it did take a kind of adjustment to it. Um, when our friend Ben started, I said to him you need to do is just the whole time you're reading the book just picture the tuba from a pit of carcoon right don't and like that amping up of tension across the at least the first half until things finally go off um and kind of go crazy um to me that really helped kind of realizing that you know we were setting up all the pieces um then kind of like the middle section of revenge of the sith actually like we just have to put all these people in these places and then it's all going to fall apart um and and it did Mm. Uh, so i i think i walked away from the book um satisfied maybe not ecstatic but satisfied um it is Claudia gray also has the burden of just being one of the best dang star wars authors and so it's hard for her to lift uh, live up to her own reputation and that know it's a blessing and a curse and and I would want nobody else uh to have her spot in high Republic. It is hard when uh some of her other books are just so incredible uh for this to live up to it um so so uh what are we doing uh like Bantha's up i I would probably give it four out of five banthas, something like that um not <laughs> a slam dunk but but certainly still positive by by a wide margin
0: yeah and uh, uh well. It's for me. It's it's by leaps and bounds my least favorite of the High Republic, which I hate to say. Um, I shouldn't say least favorite. I, I I I've I probably liked it more than a couple of the. Uh, I don't know though. To be if I'm being completely honest, it might very well be my least favorite. So yeah, I I have the least uh, positive outlook on it. And and I think the reasons I don't like it. It again, it's all purely subjective. I don't think it's a bad book. But I remember as I was reading it, when I read the previous books, even the YA books, I couldn't put them down, Um, and I couldn't pick this one up. Like it was a big difference. Like it, it felt like a chore to get through it for me. Um, There were definitely some really awesome moments for sure that I really liked. But to your point, Greg, I think Claudia Gray has been consistently my favorite new canon author. She's you know Master and Apprentice, Lost Stars. Like these books are just top tier awesome star wars in my opinion so i just had really high expectations with how good the previous two you know uh adult runs were i was like man this is, I, this is just gonna be awesome and then i remember just being probably like 45 pages in is all i'm like my god is this boring like is anything ever gonna happen <laughs> um and then when things started to happen i had so many issues with the way things were happening so i will say like um A friend of ours of the show, uh, Rachel, uh, not your not your spouse, Greg, um, but uh, reached out and was like, you know, think of it like a disaster movie, like like the Titanic and giving me that lens. I I at least started. I I appreciated it in a new way, but I didn't like it anymore. Um, And I think that's, you know, the folks that I've seen that really loved it, really loved like this slow burn kind of really suspenseful type pace. But that's just – that's exactly why I didn't like it. I just felt it was really long um, and uh, yeah, I don't know. And I'm just going to call this and I could be completely <laughs> wrong in this statement. But I will say the Game of Thrones era has ruined a lot of good storytelling <laughs> in the sense of like, hey, remember how cool it is to kill off big characters? That's a huge gripe I have with this book. It's like, hey, you remember every character you loved? We're going to kill them. Um, and and I – and <laughs> I don't – I don't want to sound like a jerk here, but a lot of people that had advanced copies were praising the hell out of this book. And they're like, you won't be ready for the emotion of this. I couldn't disagree more. I felt nothing (laughs) like and I am not a cold hearted person. I mean, I cry at Hayden Christensen. Um, I just I felt like the payoff really wasn't there. It started to feel like we're just killing people to kill people. And I just have no I don't know, like mainly because the final season of Game of Thrones did a lot of that in, in really stupid ways. Whereas earlier in the show, it was smart and very like turning things on its head. Now I feel like storytelling, and, and again, I'm not a master storyteller in any right, but I feel like it's become like cool to kill people off to try to elicit an emotional response, and I just find that weak. And and uh, yeah, it it honestly like really bothered me. Not not like to my core, but I was just like. This isn't paying off at all. Like, you know, and again, I said spoilers earlier, but so this is a big one. Killing Stellan, I felt nothing (laughs) like and I hate saying that because, like, I really liked Stellan's character. But I was like and as soon as I saw it coming, I'm like, I want to feel something. The only I will say the one thing I was really nervous about and I'm glad didn't happen is if they if they kill Ember at any point in high republic i am effing done with high republic <laughs> like <laughs> ember is the best thing that has come out of his him and bell i absolutely love them so i was like oh my god if they kill ember i'm gonna friggin burn this book um so i'm just glad they didn't do that um yeah. but they killed everybody else so yeah um, I, I so that's yeah. just so i'm sorry I, yeah. I i feel like a jerk i don't mean you know we always want to make sure to be positive but i just putting it out there right now. This just book really wasn't, I mean, I'd give this two and a half Banthas out of five. Like I, I really didn't care for this book for whatever reason. Um, So I'm going to pick up on, on, on that Carl, because
2: I I think one of the things I was disappointed with is the fact that they killed so many people. Um, And I, it's it's exciting and new to be in an era where you can create characters and there's no you know there's no tie to them in other material so that you you have to find ways to keep them alive or whatever but there's also no reason why if you're going to kill a bunch of people why all of them have to be characters that we've already enjoyed and loved you can create more characters like that first um the first Jedi that that died, that that got husked. Um, oh, uh, what's his name?
0: Bell, oh, no. Bell's first master, Loden Greatstorm. No, no, no. no the, the one in this book. Oh, okay. um, um, Orlani? The, uh, no, 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 oh, no, no. no. Nib- the, the before the, her. The, the jo-
2: no, the jokey guy. The, oh, right. The dude yeah, that, yeah, the one that
0: introduced in the book.
2: Oh, yeah, gosh. the one that's introduced in the book. You know, you could have had a couple of those, you know people who were you know assigned to the station that are working with these other characters that we've you know met uh Orla Gereni is a character that I thoroughly enjoyed and I wanted to know more about the the wayseeker stuff that she was on and what that meant and now we're not going to get any of that anymore because they killed her um <laughs> yeah Nib-seek was someone I I wasn't emo- in, immensely attached to but she was a fun character she had like witty one liners sometimes Plus, she's Buriaga's master. Um, And then she was just, you know, done away with off-screen, you know, essentially. Um, The, you know, uh, Belle's master, Indira, was almost killed the same way, but she's kept alive because she's Belle's master. Um, And then, honestly, the one character I had the most issues with in the book was Stellan, because I felt like he wasn't, written the way that it i I felt like he didn't line up with the stellan from rising storm Hmm. um and i think that might be my biggest issue with the book um because he spends the entire book in his office fretting and doing nothing i feel like he would have tried to do stuff you know, he would have been, you know, even if he's impaired and hampered by, you know, the, the force clouding and the, the fear from these creatures or whatever, you know, and he's he's definitely seems to be the target um, in a way of a lot of this. Uh, I feel like he would have still tried to do more, but all of the stuff with him is internal and emotional and he's not doing anything. And I feel like that's that doesn't quite ring true to Stellan, um, well, I, based on what we got in Rising Storm and what Vernestra Rowe talks about Stellan as being her master and things like that. So um, I think that's my biggest gripe hmm. with this book. Well, I'm going to actually. And, sorry.
0: So, I, I, I'm actually going to push back because. Uh, I think that he does do a lot. I think he's, he's constantly trying to figure out what to do here. and uh, But I'm going to say that it was <laughs> everything he's trying, though. There's so much. I, I, I'm curious if you two agree with this. There just seemed to be a lot of technical language in fallen star, like com- when I mean like computer tech, it's like, well, we'll try this. And then this, and it's just like, Holy shit. I'm so bored. <laughs> like, um, excuse my French, but um, so I, I would argue he is doing a lot. And the thing I appreciated about at least where his, his character has changed since rising storm and understandably. So, I mean, he, he witnesses this horrible tragedy at the fair and we're made very Aware that you know that that beautiful image that you can so you can just close your eyes when you were reading it in Rising Storm of him holding um uh oh my gosh why am I blanking on the uh, Lena So so. thank you Uh, Lena So right and and that image goes throughout the whole galaxy right and now he is the exemplar Jedi. Um, he, he has that weight on his shoulders and now he's also the marshal of starlight beacon. He's taken that position away from a very dear close friend. So I, I actually not to mention that. he also encounters these fear things, which I do want to talk about later on. Um, Cause I, I do love those things. There's I'm so intrigued. Um, but so I, I would say he is doing a lot, um, in light of all of those things he's carrying on his shoulders. I just felt like all the things he does, they were just so techy in the way that they're kind of explained, that I just found it wildly boring. Um, So that's, I don't know, what do you think of Stalin, Greg?
1: Um, Yeah, it it is really interesting. So I was listening to to both of you, and I think I I agree with a lot of what you each said, even though you disagreed, so I don't know where that puts me. (laughs) Uh, But um, one of the things I think reminds me a lot of is the beginning of revenge of the sith is this my second revenge of the sith reference so far i must be hitting the sauce a little hard (laughs) um so uh in the beginning of revenge of the sith uh there's this hint that anakin and obi-wan have become celebrities right and you know we saw a little of that fleshed out in the clone wars but not a ton um, I think it's a little more in the novel and uh, although I'm speaking to the novel expert, but you know, General Greaves is like, oh, General Kenobi, the negotiator. And you're like, what? Like, Where did yep. that come from? When you're sitting right. in the theater and they filled in a little bit more about that sense. And I do think that it became clear to me that Stellan Geos had experienced something similar. He got you know, uh, made into a celebrity by that moment you were just describing, Carl, and how uh, the whole Republic saw it and Um, that elevated him to the council and then um the council put him in charge of um starlight beacon to agree with jason i think something is missing that we didn't see that and it feels almost like that must have happened in a book we didn't read but i swear to god i've read all the books like (laughs) it took a lot of time and energy to get through them all and, and all the comics at least we haven't seen that piece come together yet um so i think Months that passed between those two novels changed Stellan a lot. It's very understandable. It's it's kind of the plot of, um, of Don't Look Up, which is on Netflix right now, um, and some other kind of recent art where it's like, yeah, the media is a drug and the attention is a drug and you get too big for your br- britches uh, your, or your Jedi robes. And so you betray your friend, Avar. And, you know, by the end of the book, he really is like, why did I do that? And how did that come apart? So, so I think he's full of regret. And then Just to pick up on something uh, you said, Carl, um, you know, the I just rewatched this week's Mandalorian. I don't think this is a spoiler, but hopefully people have watched it because it's flipping fantastic. Um, there's a long sequence when they're rebuilding the ship in that episode. And it's pure... Technobabble junk, and it's like it's becoming from Amy Sedaris, and so you barely take it serious, and <laughs> you no, know, it, and it has just a little bit of OT, like you know the compressor or whatever. I guess that's ST, but um, but you're like it's just pure babble, and a lot of that does feel like it happens at times in this. Um, for me personally, the part I had trouble with it the most is when they're describing how the station split into two pieces. They're still connected, and then some characters are able to get across, but nobody else can use the path they used. And I certainly at some point just had to say, I don't understand this. I don't understand why this is true. I just have to say, okay, the rules of this are there's two pieces. Nobody can get across. Going to break apart. Um, Just leave it at that. So I think there was a a difficult task there. Um, Maybe a really good schematic or visual dictionary could clear that up a little bit, but that's the techno babble. I had the most difficulty with. Hmm. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Well, right. So this book is so contained. Um, I mean, everything happens on, like you said, half of starlight beacon. Um, And I, I mean, I know that that's probably part of the intent is it, it, it's meant to almost feel claustrophobic as you're reading it. Um, And, I don't know. Like it, 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 to me, Light of the Jedi is just oh, it. Just it's it stands heads and shoulders above almost every Star Wars novel I've ever read. Period. Legends or new. Um, and Rising Storm isn't much below it, in my opinion. Um, and it, what I loved so much about Light of Jedi is just how expansive the story was. And then Rising Storm. I mean, it was it was your typical middle act type event in the sense of like we delved deeper into these characters and their arcs and. I mean, Marquion Rowe had an awesome arc. I mean, I couldn't stand Marquion in this book. Like, he's just there, like, hmm, twiddling his fingers in the background. Like, I've got a plan. And the reason I – like, Marquion felt there was a vulnerability to him in the previous two books that I enjoyed. Um, there was hints at a backstory, which clearly we're going to be exploring in Eye of the Storm. Um, but it, for me, the reason I struggled with his character so much in this book – this is exactly why I never liked Thrawn all the way back in the '90s. It's just he was too perfect. Like Markion just seems to know everything, um, and I just don't like villains like that. Uh, so again, I I apologize if you loved this book. It just clearly didn't work for me. Um, I don't mean to be like I, these are my opinions. I'm not saying that they are facts. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean even Markion, like I was just think some of the things I've always loved in Star Wars. Um, and, and I always use Empire Strikes Back as my example of this is every time Darth Vader is on screen in Empire, I am enraptured. Like, I just love what he's up to. I love his machinations. Um I argue the same thing for the dark Knight. Like every time the Joker's on Heath Ledger's Joker's on screen, I'm, I'm, I'm enraptured. I love, I love a good villain. And Markion just felt like such a flat villain in fallen star. Whereas he had been something so epic in the previous two books. And again, I, I, I know they have a trajectory in mind for him. Um, this was kind of, you know, his plot here is, this is him just watching the world burn. You know, this, he has set this all up. Um, his, Little group of fanatic faithful are characters I've never met before. Do they show up in the comics, Greg?
1: Uh, I'm not sure which ones you mean. The three uh, that
0: go on to Starlight to like plant the bombs.
1: No, I, I think they're I, they're just lackeys. Okay, they're disposable Nile, as, as okay. far as I know. I don't yeah. believe they've been around before.
0: Got it. Um, but that, even that though, I was like, where, I, I don't get it. Like, where are they coming from? Um, but yeah, I mean, so clearly Marky on his setting this all up, he has a plan. Um, but, uh, yeah, I don't know. Maybe it's just cause I love the Jedi so much and I want them to be infallible <laughs> and they're just so fallible here. Um, they're being <laughs> outsmarted by, you know, this rando dude. Um, so I don't know, like, I, I, there was nothing compelling to be about Markion in this book, whereas I found him wildly compelling in the previous two. Um, so I feel gosh, I feel like a jerk. Like everything I'm gonna be like, hey, here's what I didn't like about it. What do you guys think? So I mean, so those are those are my thoughts on Marquion. Yeah, what do you what do you think of Jason? Of the interesting thing about
2: this book is there's not a lot of time for development at all, because the book takes place over like what, two, three days, maybe? Yeah. Yeah. You know. It's so short, Um, whereas, you know, uh, Light of the Jedi and Rising Storm uh, and even, you know, all the other, you know, uh, young adult novels took place minimum over, like, the course of a week or two. Um, In some cases, a month or two. You know, we had big time jumps uh, between points. Uh, in those books, giving people time to do process and things, you know, there isn't a lot of time for any sort of like, you know, development in a lot of people because it's all just so condensed. And I'm not saying that's Mm -hmm. a good or bad thing. That's just a thing. That's a good point with this book, because, you know, the whole point of fallen star is to blow starlight beacon out of the sky and kill Stellan geos. That is the point of this book, you know, um, in terms of the High Republic story, uh, there's not much else that gets advanced. Mark, except Marquion has kicked everybody except his assistant and the senator that he's wooing. Um, senator! Off, senator! Yeah, yeah, <laughs> off, off the gaze electric. Um, and it's now run by droids. Um, Starlight Beacon has been destroyed. Stellan Geos is dead there's in terms of a, of a the larger overall story nothing else really gets accomplished in this book which is fine that's just what this book was meant for um and so it is just so very self-contained i think um or or or, or not contained uh constrained by the event the singular event that it is telling um there's not really a lot of build up like long-term build up to the event and there's no not really any time to um react to the event in this book uh, i think they're saving that for other materials or other books uh in the final wave um but uh yeah that 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 is the point of this story is to destroy starlight beacon and to kill Stellan geos that is what this book is designed to do and it did. So,
0: what do you think of Markeon, Greg?
1: Uh, I think the most important thing to remember is that in this book, Markion Rowe. Uh, finds himself uh and gets to know himself a little bit better while getting to know a senator uh so uh yeah, I love markion um across everything so far and and I would include this book in it so so what's compelling to me about him is um he's walking this wonderful mix of being totally on top of his game and um getting everything he wanted also slowly going mad and it feels shakespearean to me Mm. um you know again sorry i see a lot of movies but i just watched the the new Macbeth adaptation which is phenomenal i was alone in the theater but that's fine i I didn't need anybody uh so uh and one of the things it reminds us is you know with power you know heavy is the head that wears the crown for for light of a better uh, phrase right um, and so this book is a really interesting one for Markian because I think you're, you're absolutely right that he's sitting on the side watching. Um, the master has set up the dominoes, and the dominoes are falling. Um, his three lackeys who sneak onto Starlight Beacon, or, or however many they are, um, reminds me very much of the, the people who blew up the starship at the beginning of uh, Justina Ireland's first middle grade book. Um, oh, right. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, out of the Shadows. That's the second one, I think. Oh, right. Into the Dark. <laughs> oh, that's Claudia Gray's first one.
2: No, the, the Middle Grade. Uh, oh, Middle
1: I'll Grade. I'm sorry.
0: Um, race to Crash Point Tower. No, no, no. Oh, the first one. Test of, Test courage. of courage. Yeah. <laughs> Test of Courage.
1: Wow. There's a lot of High Republic. Sorry, yeah. folks. Yeah. Um, and Test of Courage, right, the three kind of sneak on board and, and are just able to kind of fidget and flip switches and then it blows it all up. Here, this is a certainly a more complicated uh, kind of operation, but I do think that, um, you know, uh, it, it's very similar, right? So so in other words, this is a play he's run before. And so he's running this play again, but with a much bigger target. And in order to get it done, we have to have him reveal to us that he's actually already corrupted more deeply into the Republic than we were aware. Um, we had some hints that, um, you know, Senator Giros... might have been no good and now we really see that um you know she's 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 made her choice um i think that feels good to me in terms of my star wars brain because that feels like palpatine right um uh here the the real power steps forward right the the mindless bureaucrats uh who who elect him and so on like that's that's what a star wars villain does so he's showing us that he's both the master of politics and the master of uh, tactics, because the tactic here is not just Starlight like Beacon is the easiest target in the world, right? The Chancellor says this is a beacon to represent our hope to the Outer Rim. Let's, let's extinguish it. Let's blow out the candle, right? Um, and so that makes it an easy target. And so it's like the easiest play in the world. But how he does it, and the way he chooses that moment to finally reveal himself Um, I think he's kind of masterful, right? He's a showman, um, and part of being a terrorist is to have the biggest impact with your actions um, and to make sure you inspire the most fear and the most dread. So the fact that within the chaos of Starlight Beacon Falling, managed to get a huge number of ships there his audience right Mm -hmm. it's uh it's palpatine standing in front of the sith eternal at the end of rise of skywalker right and and we don't need to know who's on those ships we don't need to see them we just need to know he he found the audience and it's it's going to happen for him at this moment it doesn't but um and so that combined with the idea of he has become so paranoid he's lied to all of his followers now and given them weird bizarre assignments and only put droids around him it was a very Howard Hughes feel, mm. like he's one step away from peeing in jars and keeping them, <laughs> right? And uh, and so that to me is, uh, again, and, and uh, this would go back to Jason's initial comment, it's set up, right? And and so there is always that way in which you're like, oh, but what what happens next? And, and this doesn't give you that um, in unsatisfying ways. Um, but it certainly makes me very interested to see where this story goes um charles sewell has promised that the first episode of eye of the storm um be read before fallen star but he said the second one really you want to read after fallen star so i think we're going to get a little hint at whatever i I would not expect something big some new Mm -hmm. plot development sure what he meant is it just reveals that beacon does go down and is destroyed but i think a little hint of where marquion goes from there um yeah, I mean, I'm stealing. Uh, I think it's Maggie of the Town who coined it originally, or at least who promotes it. But I'm a on Ho. Like, I'm all in. <laughs> Whatever that guy wants to do, uh, I, I will continue to find interesting.
0: I mean, I, what I.
2: Go ahead. Sorry. Yeah, what I will say is, you know, I, I did really like, you know, the very end of the book, the epilogue, and when he announces himself to the galaxy, mm. uh, I think was a fantastic scene. Uh, you know, he, he's supposed to... The, the whole lead-up, you know, Gyarastaros makes a noise in the background. He's at first irritated, and he's like, well, that might be fun to watch her squirm as they analyze who that is and start asking questions. You know, that might be fun to watch. And then he knows he should say, you know, the galaxy belongs to us, the Nihil, but he says it belongs to me. And... Because it's what he truly believes and what he you know what he's his designs are anyways so uh I thought that was fantastic and uh it was a great a great moment for for markian this 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 is markion's triumph this book is is his you know stamp on the galaxy this is his grand introduction to the galaxy at large. Uh, saying, "Look what I can do," and um, yeah, the rest of it is going to be how do we deal with someone like Markion?
1: And just two resonances, two valences. I want to put on that. Remember, at the beginning of Light of the Jedi, I'd forgotten this till rereading it recently. That he is supposed to wield no power. He gives the paths to the runners, and the runners make the decision. And the second kind of spin on that is also to remember. Until this moment, and the book reminds us of this, but it's very clear if you've read the other materials. The Republic is convinced Lorna D is the mm. eye of the storm, and they've spent all their resources, all their energy um, tracking her down to capture her. So imagine that moment where it's like, hey, uh, it's me, guys. It's not her at all. She's my puppet. She's small potatoes compared to what I've been able to do. I just think the, both of those, you know. what you just said even more true it's like the shock of that revelation to the galaxy plus the fact that it's a shock to the nile that this isn't his job and now he's taking that on and is going to um, be a very dangerous you know sure a piece of this galaxy moving forward Mm.
0: yeah i was gonna say the same thing as you jason the epilogue is pretty telling (laughs) um I, i did enjoy it quite a bit with with him kind of like you said, you know, he, he reveals himself to the galaxy to be the mastermind behind all of this. And that statement of his, the galaxy is mine. Um, he is, I mean, he is a narcissist at the end of the day. That's what Markian Rowe is, is, uh, the Nihil. You, you it, it made me wonder, like, does he really even care about the Nihil? It just seems like all he cares about is himself and the eradication of the Jedi for whatever reason. Um, which, again, I know we'll, we're going to get those answers as to why he has it in for the Jedi. Um, and we know he's going to fail <laughs> um, to a degree. I mean, he's not going to eradicate the Jedi. Um, only only Sidious is capable of that. Um, and, uh, yeah, I mean, I am... And I did like the fact that he shows up to watch it, right? Like he's like, "Oh, we'll bring the Gaze electric in." They don't, they don't know what this ship is. They, you know, there's no transponder codes that give me away. So he goes and watches the show firsthand. You know, I mean, he he's he's eaten it up, Um, and and I I did like that. I'm like, wow, this guy is he is nuts.
2: (laughs) Um, Yeah, he is going mad. Like what, what Greg said earlier, he's going mad slowly. Um, and I think he even is self-aware enough to acknowledge that, but he doesn't care because it works for what he needs right now. Um, but yeah, he, I, I will say the way that, uh, Mark Thompson voices Markion, uh, definitely pulls in the, the, the madness a bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, it definitely plays into that that fact of it's so the way he he, he voices Marquion is uh is off is unsettling uh at times so it works it very much works in the audiobook
1: oh and, and i i don't think i 'm spoiling anything by saying that I of the storm did not completely fill in his backstory there's there's hints and you get a little bit um they it, I still have everything you were just saying both of you it 's like yeah, he sounds like a sith. Right. Like mm. I just I still just have this feeling he's connected to them in some way yeah. or is being manipulated by them. Uh-huh. Um, so well, I, I, I want that answer. Eventually, I want to know, you know, is it just pure selfishness? Um also know he's you know his dad kind of built a lot of the nile up right so so there's a family thing there that you know they had the they had maria santeca to kind of manipulate and to to get the paths there's still a lot left to be filled in and um especially where we're going back in time it seems like the chances we get something about who his dad was and the origins of this plan um, but, again, on the surface of it, it just sounds completely like moving from Darth Plagueis to Darth Sidious, right? Mm. Like, somebody got pretty close, and we were almost ready, and then it was Sidious who got to pop the, the trap and and, and everybody. Um, and, uh, sorry, one other thing, just while I have the mic, is I wanted to remind myself the names of the three phases. So the first one that we've just finished is Light of the Jedi, The second one is Quest of the Jedi, which Mm -hmm. I don't think I'd really thought about that name in the context of going back in time. There's a lot of of interesting things there. And the third one is called Trials of the Jedi. It seems to me that that fits with us coming back to this moment and, um, you know, Rakeon has just kicked off the Trials and we're going to see the Jedi survive because they do, right? They come out of it weekend and... Know, a lot less bright but uh what what lays in store for them is to imagine um and also to remember that said these are the first three they didn't necessarily say these are the only three so we right. could be in the high republic for a long time mm-hmm. right yeah
2: I, I want i'm gonna bet that yoda is a lot more prominent in phase two
1: good guess good hypothesis yeah. so
2: um, well
0: i mean we because he of
2: mentioned off screen a couple of times but uh, I, I I'm gonna I'm, I'm guessing if we're gonna have connections from that to this we're gonna have a character that can be in both time frames and so Yoda makes
0: sense <laughs> yeah um yeah uh so um my big I think the th- the thing that I enjoyed a lot in this book is these, whatever the heck these fear creatures are. Um, And I'm guessing they have something to do with the great leveler, which, you know, Markion goes to get in, in rising storm. He goes on that quest, you know, which was so cool to see a villain quest. Um, And, you know, it it, the first time it's used is to husk load in great storm in front of bell. Um, it's pretty brutal. Um, and yeah, like apparently there are a few of them on starlight beacon. So these, those saboteurs, they came to blow it up, but they also came to bring um, these creatures. Cause in Markian also seems to ruminate in some of his scenes that, you know, he understands that that was a sacrifice to send those things there. Cause they obviously went down with starlight. Um, they're not, I mean, Clearly, the Jedi don't know how to, how to confront them, um, because every Jedi that tries dies. Um, all, all of them die directly, except for Stellan. Uh, um, so, I, yeah, I just I'm so curious what the heck these things are. Um, they remind me a lot of the Usul Army from, you know, the, the Legends canon, which, you know, were Timothy Zahn's creation to how do I how do I neutralize the superpower of the force? Well, I'm going to create these creatures that hold the force at bay. And these things, I mean, they're not—they're certainly not verbatim Yssel Army. Um There's, they're a very different thing, but it, it does feel like a creation of these authors to come up with something to neutralize the Jedi while they're not telling the story of the Sith. Um, so they come up with these things. Um, obviously, the big red flag is, well, where the hell are they later on, right? Like, why is why isn't why aren't they being used by pirates and stuff across the galaxy that battle the Jedi in the prequels? Um, so there's clearly a reason, like. I feel like even just that tidbit we get from Markian does seem to imply that they're a finite resource. Um, mm-hmm. uh, but they are clearly something that's alive. Um, so yeah, I, those, I mean, those were fascinating, those scenes where they get kind of stocked and, and it, I thought those scenes were really well done. I really enjoyed them. in so far as like, oh, this is really good suspenseful writing. Um, but I just like, I just want to know more about them. And we got literally no answers, um, which I'm sure was the point, but, uh, you know, what did, what do you all think of the, uh, (laughs) these fear monsters?
2: Oh man. Yeah. They're, they're creepy as all get out. Um, because we just don't know. We just don't know. And I'm sure, you know, once we get the knowledge, it'll be like, oh, that's what it was. Um, but still scary because like they took out Jedi without anybody being able to do a thing about it and the way that they do it, I'm not sure how it works, but the fact that they essentially maybe through the force just sucks all the life out of somebody, you know, via fear and it husks them, whatever, you know, that, that, Oh, that's a, just a, a, a creepy visual uh to think about. I, I think they're a great creation, um, but I do want to know more. Uh and uh I think it was good that uh uh Elzar got like a quick glimpse at one when he was uh going down uh to the uh, you know, to activate the the thrusters at the end um, because, you know, otherwise if we hadn't had any, you know, glimpse of them at all, then it would have just been frustrating. Um But, you know, not enough time to get any sort of, you know, definitive answers on it. Um, so I like them. I just, I'm just hoping that they don't, Go too long without giving us a little bit more information because if they just kind of draw it out in this fashion for too long, it's going to get old. Um, but in this instance, the way it was used in this book, I think it worked very, very well. Hmm. I'm just frustrated that they killed all of my Jedi characters, so um, you know,
1: there's that. <laughs> Uh, I thought they were super cool. Uh, I think that, you know, we were told that one of the motivating questions of Project Luminous back in the day is what make the Jedi afraid. I think mm-hmm. we thought the answer to that was the Drengir, uh and then the Nile, right? Uh, but uh, as Carl alluded to, the Drengear seemed to be gone, uh, at least in the form they were in. Um, and I won't fill in the details on that in case people want to read that story where it is. Um... There's something else here, and I think this is whatever, like, I think the drengier were a head fake, and this is the real shot on goal. That sports metaphor. Hell yeah. <laughs> Who's the nerd now? Uh, so, you, um, you're still the nerd, Greg. Oh, right, right, because I got so excited that I managed a sports metaphor. Yes. Uh, so, <laughs> <laughs> um, so, I think it's very exciting. Um, and... Let me say one thing, kind of sticking to the book, and then a second thing that's going to be kind of galaxy brain. This is where I think we're headed, I think. Um, Within the context of the book, um, to have them literally lurking in the shadows and grabbing people one by one, um, I mean, this this felt like Jaws to me. It felt, you know, like... um, I I don't know my horror canon, but a a real horror movie where, you know, oh, uh, the cat needs to go out. I'll go let. oh, that person's never seen again. Uh, Right. Mm. And then one by one, they're kind of disappearing. Um, And that's not to invalidate what Carl said about like and and you as well, Jason. It's like, yeah, I loved Orla. I wanted to know a lot more about Orla. And she seems gone. That's that's heartbreaking. Um, I think we might find another way seeker eventually. I think there's some candidates who might be headed down that path. But um, it is hard to deal with the losses there. And I imagine when the High Republic crew were planning this, they had no idea people would get this attached this fast. And so mm-hmm. you know, it seems like, the, like where the characters are dying, those are the things they plotted out together so that they could make sure not to, you know, eat somebody here or there when they'd already been taken off the board. Um, very excited to me. I agree about the Yasalamari. Uh, The the whole feeling on the station, particularly, I guess it's in the whole book. I mean, initially they're kind of mentioning it as a mild irritation. Then it's later that they realize just how severely they'd been affected. Um, really reminded me (laughs) of uh, Revenge of the Sith uh, when uh, Yoda says, uh, "You know," or Mace Windu says, "I believe we should tell." Or is that Attack of the Clones? I believe we need to tell the, the Senate clones. that our ability to see the yeah. force has been diminished. It's Attack um, of the Clones. Oh, whew. I, anymore Revenge of the Sith, and I i don't know what <laughs> happened to me. Uh, so uh, that is such a underplayed part of the prequels, but huge, right? And, and I remember the theorizing, where it's like, what on earth does that mean? How have they been limited? And is this a Sith power? Is this just Sidious? Is it just... Something George decided that when, uh, you know, the dark side rises, the light gets diminished. I mean, sequels say, you know, darkness rises and the light to meet it, uh, suggesting more of a balance approach. But there's really imbalance at that moment in the prequels and and startlingly so. So um, that connection felt really good to me and that this is something familiar but something new. We've never seen this focus around a being, right? Could this be a dark side virgins of some kind? Hmm. Um, I want to know more. So we know there were three on the station, I want to say, right? He said He said six.
2: seven. I think okay. he said seven is what um, he said. He, so, it's a big sacrifice, but yeah, he had and, access to more.
1: He's taken uh, back by it. Um, so, uh, yeah, I, I do think that um, there's more to see in that picture, and that makes me excited. He seems to say I can go get more, but not the extent where this is like he's got a, you know, 30 rack somewhere. He's got <laughs> the ability to get a few more, not, not an endless supply of it. Uh, so Galaxy Brain, I think they're, they're slowly pa- placing some pieces across a lot of Star Wars media right now. There is uh, a society in Star Wars, a, a civilization called the Ascendant, the Ascendants, Um, And the Ascendants concentrated on creating technology that would counter Jedi powers. Hmm. And my theory is that Leveler is one piece of that technology. Um, Maybe the best one, maybe the most effective one, um, and is able to kill that. But we're seeing in other media, um, uh, most recently in the Dr. Aphra comics... There's a lot of things that seem to target one Jedi power, right? A way in which you can dampen your mind getting red, a way in which you can prevent telekinesis and things like that. Um, and I think, I, I think the uh, circle of High Republic, uh, that team is going to expand next uh, phase. This is a guess. I have no confirmation. We've already seen George Mann welcomed in, uh, right? He's done some of the picture books and, the life day treasury which has a stellan story yep, yep. i believe yeah yep. um i think i think they're going to bring in uh Alyssa wong who writes afra and i think they've been planting seeds for a while uh, charles sewell was dropping a ton of high republic stuff for a very long time across a lot of sources and i think they've done that again with this ascendant society Um, And maybe the quest of the Jedi is to take down the uh, Ascendant Society. So um, that is all to say, what if the Ascendant Society, what if their goal was to counter Jedi powers and they finally mastered that by creating a living being with the power to dampen the Force? Um, Maybe they still control it. Maybe they lost control of it. Um, That's what we have here. So... Uh, yeah, what, some some concrete stuff and some wild speculation, but that that's where my mind has been in terms of these being.
0: Well, I, I actually appreciated, you know, you kind of remind us that, you know, something they talked a lot about in the early press screening stuff for High Republic was what does a what, what, what would a Jedi have to fear? Um, and interestingly, as you were saying that, Greg, I, I thought like, oh, gee, well, the, the answer... Is the inability to connect to the force, right? I feel like that's, um, that's Stellan's big problem here um, is once he, he has like, I don't think he directly runs into a leveler, but he gets close enough that it messes with his head. And then of course, Bell's Bell, like is constantly thinking about how um, whatever this presence is, it's impeding their ability to connect to the force. So it's like, well, what more could a Jedi fear than being cut off from the thing that makes them a Jedi? <laughs> you know, a Jedi took my favorite Yoda quote, a force made visible a Jedi is, well, if they can't connect to the force, what is a Jedi? And I, you're right, that's clearly, you know, another part of Stalin's arc in this book is who am I outside of the Jedi, right? You know, that's kind of what Elzar presents to him. That's kind of what Avar put, put up to him. You know, is, is who are you if, if you're not a Jedi? You know, you've never, really, you've never really pushed back against the Council. You know, you've always just been this exemplar Jedi. So who are you if you're not this? Um, and, and I think interestingly enough in that is, is you know, what, what, is, what does a Jedi have to fear if not the loss of connection to the Force? Um, so maybe that's what these creatures embody is they are the epitome of a Jedi sphere because they disrupt their connection to the source of who they are. Um, so, which I just think is fascinating. Absolutely fascinating.
2: Yeah, that's a, that's a really good point. Uh, they, they definitely, uh, especially Stellan seems to be very, very lost, obviously without the force that, that, you know many of them have never thought about you know how do i function without the jedi without the force how do i you know they've been grown up they've grown up in this you know so how how do i function how do i operate who am i outside of this and i you know stellan is kind of you know highlighted in that light but many i would say most of the jedi have probably never had to even ask that question before. And these creatures seem to be uh, making them ask that question, Yeah, you know, in a way that kills them. (laughs) If, if they don't, if they don't have something that they can do, if there's not something that they can, uh, you know, or, or some way that they're rescued, you know, it will kill them. Uh,
0: so I, w- it- I, w- I will it- say that I I appreciate again, I, I, it, maybe this isn't 100 percent accurate, but I do kind of I mean, since the Jedi and the Force lore is my favorite side of Star Wars, uh, something I love that kind of early Disney era Star Wars was doing um, was kind of tackling the question with with specifically Ahsoka who are you as a force user if you're not a member of the Jedi order, right? Like that's what a story kind of started to represent. Um, that that's what Kanan's initial journey is, is like, who am I now? If I can't be a Jedi, right? Um, I'm a force user, but I can't be part of this order because the order is endangered. It's an, it's an endangered order. So it's kind of neat to now think, well, who are the Jedi if they don't have the force, you know? Um, so that's just that's just kind of where my my mind was just going
1: yeah um so we've seen in other media that sometimes it's likened to losing a sense right like Mm. going blind or some such um but it is a lot more central to the jedi of this era than other eras that we've seen um and you know uh at the height of their power so this is unthinkable that anybody would ever have their power diminished or their ability there um and how how were they all initially defined you know in light of the jedi and and again here i think there are a lot of reminders about how they experience the force and that's so much who they are right who is avar without the song who is hmm. Buryaga without the tree who Buryaga uh who is uh is Stellan the sea, or Elzar yes.
2: the sea? Elzar is the sea. Stellan is the firmament.
1: Right, right. Oh, and the the three of them together again, just beautiful. Um, so I I mean I think I think it's gonna be devastating if we see this escalated and um, you no, know, I I again am just intrigued because Marky, this isn't Marky on pressing a button. There's something kind of crazier going on here. So I think that. Um, it's going to be a part of this moving forward that it's, it's a card he can play but only sparingly it's unthinkable
2: <laughs> sorry Greg said unthinkable so I immediately <laughs> went to <sci-o-bibble>. Um <laughs> anyway um, yeah any, any other specific topics or anything that anybody wanted to bring up
1: uh I mean, I just shouted him out. So, how do you, how, what are we thinking about Buriaga? I don't know what, how, where he ended up. What are you thinking about that?
2: I, God, I hope he's alive because it would be nice to have, you know, someone else not dead. Um, I also think Buriaga is, I think they knew Buriaga was going to be like someone that everyone gravitated towards because you know, he's adorable and kind and everyone loves a Jedi Wookiee that that's, that's just Jedi plus Wookiee equals yes for Star Wars fans. Um, You know, uh, I'm hoping he's alive. I just want to make sure that the way they, he survives makes sense. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, because if that is the way Buriaga goes out, it sucked. It, it you just dragged off screen by a couple of Wrathars Tars, and then possibly spaced. We don't know. Um, cause, so if, if that is the last of Buriaga, that's a terrible, terrible way to get rid of him. Um, so, God, I hope he's back, and I hope he's alive. I don't know how, but I'm sure someone clever will figure that out.
0: Yeah, it seems like the way they set it up and, and the way they really instill, instill that sense of hope in Bell that he's alive and that he'll find him. I, I feel like that'd be a huge thing to just set up like that because I assume like, oh, he gets dragged off, he's dead. But then the way they kind of just amp up like, no, we should have hope. No, we should have hope. It's like I don't think they would amp that all up if there wasn't a f- more story for him. Um, and again, we could be wrong for sure. Um, and if we are wrong, I agree with you, Jason, that sucks. <laughs> um, but uh, I'll say this, that my, my, my favorite part of this novel um, was the relationship between Buriaga and, and Bell. I just think Bell Zetafar is one of the best characters they've created. Um, I really liked Stalin in the previous two books, but considering three quarters of this book is just technical babble around him and a silly droid that Elzar gave him. I mean <laughs> it didn't work for me. Um but yeah the, to me the heart of this story was that relationship between Buryaga and Bell and specifically Bell being there for Buryaga when he loses his master cuz <laughs> Bell knows that all too well cuz Bell also only almost loses Indira in this book too, right? Indira Stokes is almost killed and it, it, you know, it brings up again all that that pain and grief. Bell has been trying to recover from from losing Loden, um, and and in a weird way, I feel like Buriaga losing his master Nibba Um, not that in any way Bell likes that that happened, but I feel like in a in an interesting way, it, it 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 gives Bell this confidence of like, oh wait, I have a lot of lived experience recently of what it's like to survive this and to get through this. I'm I'm so glad that I can provide that for my friend Buryaga. So I just I really loved the heart of that part of their story. Um so and again, and everything about Ember is perfect. So <laughs> any anything that starts with the letters EMB you know is going to be a knockout character. Um whether it ends in ER or O, it's going to be great. <laughs> uh,
1: nice. I, nice. I just want to echo what you guys said. I I also want to put out here's my wild swing. I think it's clear to me or it's becoming clear that i think bell zeffar is the luke skywalker of this mm. part of the high republic like i think this is the story of him rising and suffering and growing up and loving and losing and you know finding hope losing hope um and so i i think i think we're headed to see you know star wars is always best when it's about generations and Think we are seeing the end of the Stellan Avar Elzar generation and rising of the Bell and Burriaga uh, generation and and Vernestra, although she hasn't really interacted with them, um, the younger Padawan Zula or Zine and and Lula and um, Ram seem a little too young at this point to really be ascendant, but. Um I think I think um there's a lot to tell about Bell and I, I think we're gonna end the High Republic just with this fantastic character up at the top levels. So um yeah it's my wild prediction. I I I absolutely agree. I don't know how Yagi lives. Um the only argument I can find on the other side is that Bell is so broken right now that maybe this is just his delusion. Mm. Um think the only shot we have is if he somehow ends up being saved by the group that are in the top half mm. right if their ship is flying away and they just the Wookiee flying through the air and catch him yes <laughs> that's a little uh ahsoka at the end of uh, clone wars now right rex catches her so, so something like that it might be our only shot um but it's hard oh. to think we see all these other characters interacting and they're not mentioning him. I don't know. It's hard to figure out how they'll do it.
2: I had a couple of ideas of how possibly it happened. Uh, The craziest being that somehow, you know, he's wrapped up and in the explosive depressurization, uh, one of the Rath Tars gets killed and he climbs inside the Rath Tar to ride out the, you know the descent to Iram, but (laughs) that was the craziest one that I came up with. The more likely is that maybe one of the ships that arrived to try and help Starlight Beacon, but couldn't do anything caught him, you know, but uh, speaking of some of the the ships and and stuff, I want to get back to uh, the, the crew of the vessel, Um, Affy Hollow, Leox Jossie and Geode i I love this crew this is they're some of my favorite characters from the high Republic um so I was really happy to see them back uh i Leox is legitimately one of my favorite characters in Star wars right now um i I think he's fantastic uh but i I enjoyed their story I liked getting to see uh uh Pika Adrian and her husband um back from uh Light of the Jedi. So it was nice to see some of these other non Jedi characters come back uh and and have something important to do and you know and, and and stuff like that. So I I thought that was a great part of the book. I did enjoy it. Obviously, you know, the Jedi are my favorite characters, and so a lot of my focus was on them. But it was nice to have something like that to break up all of these sort of oppressive fear and doubt and and stuff that was going on with the Jedi and have someone, you know, not reliant on any of that stuff, find things to hope about, find little victories in the way that they were doing stuff. And um, ultimately, you know, I, I thought... Leox, you know, getting everyone out of the hangar was was a pretty awesome scene. Um, And then, of course, he parachutes down at the end. I, you know, (laughs) I was like, he gets, you know, sucked out from the the hangar. And I was like, how is he doing this? He had a pack on. What is that? You know, I thought it was a jet pack, but no, it's a freaking parachute. And that makes it even better. So...
1: (laughs) I don't think the first time the vessel was in uh, uh, Into the Dark, Um, I hadn't yet heard Claudia Gray say he's supposed to be Matthew McConaughey. In this one, all I heard was Matthew McConaughey. (laughs) I don't know if if Mark uh, slivers on that. Yeah, does he? Nice. The dialogue you can really hear is McConaughey now. Uh, yes. And just a plug for Geode uh, continues to just amuse me. He's a ladies man now. Uh, so uh, just remarkable stuff. Um, uh, and and I was just listening uh, when I was cooking tonight to Claudia Gray on uh, Coffee with Kenobi with Dan Z. And uh, she pointed out that like she loves the Jedi too, but you need a little bit of the grounded a little bit of the kind of normal people and, and I do think it's it 's important to have the vessel crew here as that um, and you know uh it 's also uh yvonne starost I think I have that right in the in the other set of books that um, uh, that that grounds it a little bit, so I, I do think that 's important and, and there fun i loved uh you know in classic star wars tradition they could have easily gotten off uh by abandoning their ship but the ships mean something right or wouldn't leave the ghost han wouldn't leave the falcon even though it's landos uh and uh they don't want to leave the vessel which is is just beautiful and that's something that's always fun in star wars
0: yeah i i really enjoy them as well um for for all those reasons you just said i mean they are the they are the grounded uh, parts of this story, um, and I just—I just love the inner inner relationships of the vessel crew. The way they just genuinely care for each other. I like how they—they they get to be our, our part of this element of the story where there's all these people stuck on board Starlight with their ships there, and and. I, I really enjoyed that story element that gets introduced finally, like later on in the book when they finally have figured out a way to get some of those bay door open. So some of these ships can escape, but they won't all be able to escape. So they have to make, again, like this is where Rachel's uh, Titanic uh, uh, comparison really felt it too, is it's like, Oh, who gets to go? Like who can leave? Um, there's only so many lifeboats. Um, so it's it's really interesting. I, I enjoyed kind of that dilemma of do I stay here with my ship or do I leave? Because for so many of these characters, and the vessel crew is is poignant in this, in the sense that their ship is their home, right? So like, where would I go to? Like, I don't have a. This is my home, right? So like, I just I loved that story element of, um, you know, where do you go? And I, and I, I I enjoy how it's kind of this. Meta commentary on the fact that right again, like Starlight Beacon is it's the shining jewel of the Jedi. It's meant to represent the Jedi's reach across the galaxy and it's 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 willingness to be protective. Well, you have all these small little homes inside this great galactic station who are now doomed. Right. The Jedi have failed them in their eyes. Right. And I I appreciate that element of this story a lot. Um, and I was, oh my gosh, Jason, I was so bummed when I, when it appeared that Leox was killed too. I'm like, are oh, you gotta, you gotta be flipping kidding me <laughs> like <now laughs> Leox. So then him showing up at the end of that book like that, when they're kind of like, you know, everybody's sitting on the cliffs there and Leox just walks up to them. I was like, okay, this is great. Like this is, you know, this was a really great moment. Um, and I also really, you know, I do enjoy Avar and Elzar's moment at the end too, where she kind of leans on him and, um, and they look up to the stars with hope that Stellan is still with them in some way. Um, but I'm hoping now that Stellan's out of the picture, they can just get it on already. <laughs> like, just be together. <laughs> Screw the Jedi restrictions. Do it. Do what's right.
1: <laughs> they're, they're destined for uh, a lake on Naboo, right? And those were yes. your chapters in Light of the Jedi recently. That's right, yeah that that's her dream she wants to retire there maybe with him so i think i think that's their final scene when the high republic's over
2: it's just possible you know uh i i honestly you know knowing that we're gonna get avar's story in the comics about what's happening uh, you know during this you know helps but like i i was not aware of the fact that they were splitting that story between the two formats until after I, I listened to it the first time. And I was really upset because I was like, come on, we have an entire half of the station that just gets completely ignored. And then afterwards I was like, Oh, that's going to be in the co- Okay. Got it. Got it. I see what they're doing. It still is a little weird to have it just kind of cut off almost completely uh, in this book. Um, it, it is kind of strange to just, you know, from a, just the, if you're, if you're only following the novels, I can see that being a sticking point. Um, but, you know, I'm glad we're at least gonna get that story of what happens with Avar and the other half of the station, uh, because I, I missed having her involved, uh, in the book itself. Um, but I, I see why she wasn't, so.
1: Well, I was just thinking to that point, if you fell in love with Light of the Jedi, you probably really loved Avar. And now if you only stuck to the adult novels, which yeah. you know, you'll have a right to do, you haven't seen her in a long time. Right. She's been really diminished and, and I I imagine that would be very frustrating and I and you know, as much as I'm the opposite, I respect people who say, I just want to do this one thing and you know, some people are I just want to do the comics and they've had a ton of time with Avar, but uh, we haven't no, well and, and you know actually I, I realized looking at this stack of comics next to me, I forgot uh the monster of Hidden Peak with the Ty yorick comic when we were doing an mm. accounting beforehand that's another one where it's like, oh you know, the High Republic is so good at introducing these compelling characters they're just gone, and it's 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 tough and um I think you know the fact that we're so attached to them is just miraculous you. A lot of people online love these characters like they've been around since 1977, not since one year ago. Um, And so it's just kind of incredible that they've accomplished that. But I think it has become a bit of a burden because everybody has their favorites and they come and go. Uh, We Porter heads don't get much. He was in the bake-off, but that was it.
2: (laughs) Oh, man. Porter Engel was great. I always (laughs) loved it when he showed up. Well, uh, well, there's a whole we've, story we've concentrating promised. on him. He's, yeah. coming.
0: he's yeah. coming into the to, to phase two.
2: Oh, yes. He's going to be there. <laughs> um, uh, I'm excited. So,
1: I'm excited. So,
2: Porter, Ed, Engel, and Yoda.
1: Uh, I'm, a, I'm a Yariel poof head, so come on. Let's poof it. Let's get him. <laughs> <laughs> Shake that head.
2: You know, he's going to be there too, right? Uh, Just have the, go all make... the old guys
1: in their prime, right? <laughs> I got to go make poof head t-shirts and get them up on T-Public <laughs> before somebody grabs that.
0: <laughs> uh, well, any any last minute things either of you want to bring up? And again, obviously, we're, we did a very general gloss over uh, the novel. Um, but, uh, you know, any, yeah. Anything else that either of you want to bring up before we wrap it up?
1: Yeah, I'll just say... Or one year into this, it's just a rousing success. I think Star Wars literature and comics has felt much more vital to the central part of fandom than it has probably since, you know, right after the prequels, maybe even before the prequels. Um, and I think that's a credit to the writers and the vision of Michael Siegelin, um, at Lucasfilm and or is he at Delray? Uh, but he's, you know, the kind of visionary who pulled them all together um, and no, I think it's just really exciting, and and bring it on more and more and more. Even if this didn't rank as the top book so far, it's still well worth everybody's time and and a, a bit of fun. I think I think Carl's going to read it again and be a little warmer to it too. <laughs> put in him, put in his soul,
0: maybe. Uh, I mean, but I, no I, time will, soon. Yeah. So <laughs> I
2: will say having the conversation uh, with you guys, I. I come away enjoying the story more than I did before we started the podcast. So uh, you know, there are definitely some great scenes in here, some, you know, fantastic characters. Um, I, I do like JJ five, one, four, five, the, the droid that uh, Elzar sends to uh, Mm. the Stellan. I think that the droids hysterical, um, especially the way he's done in the audio book. Like he just sort of trails off into sort of like kind of, he's got a screw loose. Um, but, uh, it's really great. Uh, I will say the last third of the book, maybe the last quarter of the book is really good. Stellan geos when he's finally wakes up and starts moving and starts doing stuff. I think it's great. um, I do think you know it's a noble way to go out. Um I'm just sad that we're not gonna get more of him. Uh because I thought he I thought he had a ton of potential uh for the, the whole series. But um we'll see where Elzar picks up. Because now he's gotta carry that, that torch. He and Avar, so um, I'm look, I'm curious to see what they're going to do, but I am disappointed that Stellan is not around anymore because I think he was my favorite of the three, um, at least initially. So, but yeah, I, I'll give this a three and a half out of five banthas uh, <laughs> up from three when we started the podcast. So,
0: <laughs> yeah. Any closing thoughts for you, Greg? Well, yeah, I guess you just gave
1: them. I just gave them, yeah. I got I got nothing else. I'm tapped out. Uh, uh, yeah, uh, Bring it on. I'm the Kylo Ren gif. More, more, more. So I'll, I'll read whatever they send for High Republic. And, uh, you know, we have a really – it's going to be a break in High Republic, but they have a really exciting set of books coming out this spring, um, including an we right. want and Anakin book, including a uh, – Something that fills in a little more of uh, between or like the lead up to Palpatine's return. So we got a lot of fun stuff ahead for Star Wars, even if we have to take a little High Republic break. Yeah, we probably and also can be- Kenobi as a show. <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah, uh, no, I mean, I, I, I mean, I just I thoroughly enjoyed Kenobi this conversation like i always do um i i will raise myself to a half bantha to give this an, a solid three out of five um but i cannot and will not go higher than that and in, in the immediate future um this the style of writing just really wasn't for me um but that said uh, i do agree like it, it was worth three i was talking to a friend earlier today who's who's just reading the the adult novels um and I, I expressed to them that it, this one really wasn't my favorite, and they're like, oh, maybe I'll skip it. And I was like, I, I was like, I would still suggest reading it. Like, it's it's got a good story. And I said, my issues with it are purely subjective. There are a lot of people who loved it for the reasons I did not love it. Um, but uh, yeah, I don't, it, it's but it's also a rem, like when I finished the book, I did feel like I was like, I was really disappointed throughout the whole thing. Cause I was like, come on, Claudia gray. I love you. Why is this book not doing it for me? Um, and then when I finished it, I was like, that was really just like, it was fine. Like I, I didn't, but I didn't like love it. Like I've I've loved so much of high Republic, but then it was also a reminder of like, I don't have to love everything. Like, um, you know, just cause, and just cause it didn't work for me doesn't mean it didn't work for thousands of other people. And I'm glad that it did. Um, but, Like all art, it's subjective. Some things are going to really, really hit you and some things really aren't. Um, And uh, for whatever reason, this one just didn't. And that's very okay. (laughs) So, um, so I'm looking forward to what's next. And uh, yeah, so Greg, as always, thanks for making time to come be our High Republic scholar. Um, Before we go, where can folks find you and uh, your Star Wars musings?
1: uh well gosh uh the at ion cannon uh twitter account and instagram still work space has gotten a little more crowded because suddenly there's an ion cannon podcast that is in no way associated with me uh but we had a good talk and uh they Uh, admitted that i had the name first and even though they follow me they say it was completely coincidental that they came up with that uh but i am at ion cannon e-y-e-o-n-c-a-n-o-n on uh, twitter and instagram uh i'm most responsive on twitter so reach out on twitter and i'm uh, likely to get right back to you and and share some thoughts i'm trying to be a little more active it's a hard time things are busy at work this time of year but uh I'm also not going anywhere because it's cold out. So uh, (laughs) I'm in my house a lot.
2: (laughs) Always count on Greg to keep his eye on Canon. So (laughs) those other guys, what's their deal? I don't get it, but I I always have to just like say it that way in my head. So I like know how to spell it.
1: (laughs) I did like somebody pointed out, they're like, do you know how many certain point of view podcasts there are? It's like, oh, yeah, there's like 200 variations on that or 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 ones that use wills, right? Journal of the wills, podcast of the wills. They're they're good shows, but it's 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 tough to get a brand name that that is unique in Star Wars fandom.
0: Yeah, I think that's I think that's true. And I would uh, I would a thousand percent say absolutely coincidence. If they weren't following you <laughs> that's why i just that's why I just called bullcrap <laughs> so uh I mean, these things happen all the time in yep. the star Wars creative world i mean so but uh yeah, I'm glad you were able to have a conversation about it, and they were uh kind
1: about it so. Anyway, and and they truly like nobody needs to reach out to them or anything like that. They, they seem to be genuinely a couple guys trying to do a good podcast and uh, just thought of name on their own. Oh, yeah, there it is. There you go.
2: <laughs> All right. Well, Carl, uh, if people want to uh, get a hold of us uh, about anything that we've d- talked about this episode, anything else High Republic related, or uh, Star Wars the special edition related since we are in that time frame where can people get in contact with us sir
0: uh, well we are on uh, Twitter at Wampas Lair and we're also on Instagram at the Wampas Lair and you can always email us at WampasLairPodcast at gmail.com excellent
2: uh, anything else gentlemen before we close down this episode I think that'll do it All right. Well, thank you everyone so much for listening to this episode of the Wampa's Lair podcast This has been episode number 453 fallen star for Carl and Greg. I'm Jason and we'll see you next time here in the Wampa's Lair.